Hello everyone, John Thornett here again, another episode of the Speaking Pharmacy podcast. We're flying through them at the moment, There's, uh, it's just that phase of life, you know, where there's lots happening, um, all the coronavirus incentives, uh, the, the announcements keep coming, the legislation keeps coming, the points get clarified, uh, it just keeps working through. So, um, uh, so since we did the last one, um, more things have happened and there's some, uh, uh, my little brain's been working along as well. So uh, just some issues there that, um, uh, that I thought we really need to update you on. So um, anyway, so, so let's get stuck into it. Oh, by the way, I hope you're all well. I hope you're all keeping well. I hope you're all good. Um, I hope you all keep yourself uh, safe and well and happy. So a couple of things. We spoke last time about the JobKeeper payments, okay? Now those JobKeeper payments, there's a couple of things to, uh, uh, to go through there. To be eligible for the JobKeeper payments, and these JobKeeper payments, as we get $1,500 a fortnight per employee, where your turnover has dropped by more than 30%, for those businesses whose turnover is under a billion dollars. Safe to say most of pharmacy land is probably in that category. So if your turnover has dropped by more than 30%, you're eligible for these JobKeeper payments. Couple of things. That 30% measure is actually based on your activity statement. So if you're measuring 30%, it's measuring this period compared to last period, okay? Now, if you are a quarterly lodger, as in if you lodge your basses quarterly, that comparison is then made on the June quarter and the September quarters. So in other words, if you look at the, your June quarter activity statement, that covers the month of April, May and June. Okay, September quarter obviously covering July, August, September. So the two periods, if you're a quarterly lodger of an activity statement, the period you're comparing is the June quarter and the September quarter. So it's actually based on your business activity statements. And uh, the uh, what they are looking at is what they refer to, and I'm, you're going to hear me shuffling around paper, so I hope that's quite okay. Um, what they're referring to is the actual turnover amount that you include in your activity statements, okay? Now, most pharmacies are monthly lodgers, okay? So if you're a monthly lodger, the month the months you are comparing is any month from March 2020 through to September 2020, okay? So you're not just comparing month by month, you're only you're comparing by activity statement periods, okay? So that's quite a, a relevant point there that, um, uh, that that you you need to know about, and that's uh, this is something that I, I this is just legislation only came out. It was actually um, uh, the legislation only passed late last week. I think it was Thursday last week, and uh, so this is stuff that I've only been reading about about this morning. So this is uh, what is this? It's Tuesday, the fourteenth of April, when I'm doing this. Okay, um, so a couple of other points there on that JobKeeper payment is and particularly that 30% turnover test. So again, as a reminder, this means your turnover has dropped by more than 30%. That test links not only the JobKeeper payment, 
but also links your eligibility regarding commercial leases. And I'll cover that a little bit more in a second. A couple of other points. There's a little example if we want to run through here, if that's okay. So that, if you look at you know, a pharmacy that's turning over, say, $2.5 million, okay? Fairly common turnover. Um, yeah, yeah. So the monthly turnover is about $200,000, okay? So for them to be eligible for the JobKeeper payments, their turnover needs to drop by $60,000 a month for them to be eligible. Now what happens, and we look at the month of March, now if we look at most of the clients, uh, the data that we've seen so far, most pharmacies, their March was probably pretty good. Okay, there was a, most the turnovers were up across the board, yeah, some have been stating 20, 30, 40%. So month of March has actually been quite good. Month of April, on the other hand, is not looking so good. Um, I was talking to uh, one client this morning. Um, they're looking at uh, the first uh, two weeks of April. Uh, theirs is down 31.5%. Um, you know, so if you're regional, if you are middle of a shopping centre, maybe next to a medical centre that's only doing uh, you know, telehealth type conference uh, type facilities, um, you know, those pharmacies are, are likely to get hit. So if you, so if you think, well, you know, some pharmacies, their, their march was probably up. Does that mean so they're probably not likely to get eligible for the JobKeeper payments or, or any sort of uh, rent relief? But then when it comes to April, April for some at the moment, the trends are showing that, you know, there might be a few pharmacies whose turnover is going to drop by that 30%. So we just got to keep our eye on this. But what happens if your turnover has dropped by that 60,000, you do turn over 200 grand a month, and your turnover has dropped by $20,000. And then someone comes in for a script for a high cost drug that's $20,000. So that one script, don't forget, is $20,000. That one script means, you're, means that you're not gonna be dropping by that 30%, which means you're not eligible for the JobKeeper payments, which means you're not eligible for any commercial leases. But also keep in mind that script for 20 grand could be 10 grand, these high cost drugs. You make $100 from that. So you think those situations there of a pharmacy who's generally down and trading down, um, but the test is based on turnover, not GP dollars. And you know, if you are generally down on your turnover and your GP dollars have dropped quite a bit as well, but then you've got high cost drugs being dispensed, that kills your turnover test, which means you're not eligible, but your GP dollars are still well down, which means you're actually in a bit of trouble. But what does that mean? We think for that could only be one script that's um, that one script that's cost you that turnover. What's it actually cost you? Or well, for that that pharmacy turning over two hundred grand a month, they could have, say for example, seven employees in various capacities of full time, part time, or casual, anything like that. Those seven employees, so that's seven times fifteen hundred dollars a fortnight. That's 
$10,500 a fortnight or $21,000 for that month. So that one script of which you got $100 potentially cost you $21,000. It's that's yeah, I know it hasn't been commented too much within pharmacy world, but it's you can see for pharmacy, it's not going to take much when you're generally down, generally down. And if you if you take the test on GP dollars, um, you know, it, it'd be uh, probably more relevant to pharmacy, but that's not the legislation, it's not how it works, it's based on turnover. But it's not going to take many of those drugs. Uh, to, to knock you out of the realm and not being able to access JobKeeper payments or, the com or any sort of commercial um, rent relief just by one or, two, one or two drugs that you've dispensed, which has probably earned you $100, but probably cost you over $21,000. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's quite relevant. So I think just keep that in the back of your mind. And certainly what I'd be recommending week by week Look at your turnover and look how much you're dropping, and um, and just just keep your eye on it. Um, uh, what are some other things here? Um, uh, also, yeah. By the way, um, uh, a media release that came out on the ninth. The ninth was Thursday last week. Yes, uh, Sarah in front of me is nodding ahead. So, as a media release came out by the WA government on the 9th of April, confirmation the JobKeeper payments when you pay them to your employees, they're not subject to payroll tax. Okay, there'll be some um, uh, legislation. I think I think they said that they're, they're pushing that through. Um, but there's a media release on the 9th of April. The JobKeeper payments won't be subject to payroll tax. So um, so. That's a, a nice little one there. That, that question came across my desk over the weekend. So commercial leases. And this is something else that's also recently popped its head up. Now the commercial leases are again to be eligible for any relief for commercial, uh, for commercial rent. Uh, you need to be able to meet that turnover test and make you eligible for JobKeeper payments, which means you need to, your turnover needs to fall by more than 30%. Okay, So this is a code of conduct. This is um, principles like what we call good faith principles. Okay, uh, If uh, the tenant's turnover is less than $50 million, uh, these principles are mandatory. Um, it will sort of suggest that um, if we're talking about commercial rent relief and turnover, it sort of suggests that this is based on an entity basis, not a grouping basis. Um, uh, so it's looking at per business is what it tends to be suggesting. Uh, except when you are one of those retail corporates, um, that's looking more across the group. Um, Franchises is another example. Uh, franchise, they're looked at per franchisee, uh, not across the franchise. Okay, so, so these are general principles, okay? Um, so the, the, the basis of the commercial rent relief is the rent reductions is actually based on the tenant's decline in turnover. So um, if the, the, the extent of the rent reduction is also to the extent of the, the, the reduction or the decline in turnover. So they're sort of linking the two together there. Uh, a couple of principles here. This covers your uh, retail tenancies, office tenancies, uh, uh, industrial sites, 
Um, any evictions from landlords uh, they've been put on hold for six months. Um, and during this uh, coronavirus period, um, landlords must not terminate any leases. It also means that the tenants must also stay committed to the lease terms as well. Um, any benefits that the landlords get uh, in regards to reduced uh, um, deferred loan repayments, reduced land tax, any other rates, charges, any of those charges uh, where landlord gets benefit as a result of state government, local government, um, uh, coronavirus uh, support announcements, um, they are to be passed on to the tenant as well. Now this is uh, the interesting kick here. There's two mechanisms here in regards to uh, rent reductions. There is a waiver mechanism and a deferral mechanism. So if there is uh, a rent reduction agreed to between the tenant and the landlord, more than 50% of that reduction needs to be a waiver, meaning that um, it's just waived, don't have to pay it. The balance is deferred and the balance is deferred over a minimum period of 24 months. Okay, which means 24 months. So even if the, the say the tenant get, gets kicked out or terminates the lease or they just, yeah, business doesn't survive as happens, um, you know, within a year, um, they still have to meet the deferrals and that's still over a 24 month period at minimum. Um, if uh, the tenant is also unable to trade uh, during that phase as well, um, then uh, any uh, variable outgoings are also waived as well. Okay, there's a lot more to it, um, but they're just some of the um, uh, some of the principles there regarding uh, rent relief that uh, that you probably need to know about. So if again, if your turnover is looking like it's dropping. Uh, Keep your test going. Look at it week by week, comparing this month to last month, particularly pharmacy. It's a monthly Bass Lodger. Look at your um, uh, March uh, turnover figures. Also have a look at your April week by week. Um, and if it's looking um, looking like you got a 30% drop, um, be aware of any high-cost drugs being dispensed because they could knock you out and it could be potentially costly when you're needing those incentives the most. Okay, um, so keep keep monitoring that. And if you feel as though you are going to be eligible, go to the ATO website and you can uh, you can register for uh, the JobKeeper payments there. And if you are eligible for that, that means you'll also be eligible for any um, rent relief. And you can uh, talk to your uh, landlord um, about that. And so those principles, those um, code of conduct and good faith principles, uh, they are available. Um, you can look up uh, treasury websites, etc., um, but they are they are available there. Um, so there's some good points there for you to keep uh, for you to um, be aware of. A couple of other things while I shuffle some paper around. Um, home office expenses. Now this is something that also came out uh, probably beginning of last week, I think it was. Now um, particularly for us all at Peak here, we're all working from home, um, uh, as is uh, quite a few people at the moment. So if you are in a situation where you are working from home, uh, the ATO has announced a, a simple methodology for working out deductions for home office expenses. 
Now, previously that was worked out to be about 52 cents an hour, but during the coronavirus period where someone is working from home uh, because of coronavirus distancing and social distancing measures, etc., during that period, um, uh, the deduction is worked out at 80 cents per hour. Okay, couple of uh, couple of issues here you need to be aware of. One, uh, you need to prove that you need to prove that you have actually spent the money, um, uh, meaning that if you're um, living with your parents and your parents are spending all the money, you don't get the deduction because you haven't spent a cent on it. Um, as an example, uh, it must directly relate to the earning of income. So if you are working for home like uh, the Peak family are, um, their hours that they spent at home uh, working, working, for, working for us here, that's directly relating to the income. However, if, um, if someone's working half a day and spending the other day studying, um, or something like that, or doing whatever, if, it's doesn't, if, if they're working from home and it doesn't relate to actually earning income, don't get the deduction. You also need some sort of record to prove that you are working from home. Diary, timesheets, something like that needs to prove that you've actually worked those hours at home. And um, what else is there? Um, you also cannot claim a deduction if you have been reimbursed by your employer, which some employers may do. Um, okay, so there's a couple of principles for you, but it's a nice shortcut method, 80 cents per hour multiplied by the number of hours you've spent working at home, supported by timesheets, diaries, etc. Um, there's a deduction for you for the uh, months of uh, March, April, May, June. So it's something to keep in mind. Another little issue for you, um, just a little something, uh, regarding the instant asset write-offs. And we talked about those last time, the last podcast we had with Priya. Now, uh, uh, keep in mind, if uh, to be uh, this instant asset write-off was previously $30,000 per asset, uh, now that's extended to $150,000 per asset, uh, noting that is per asset and it covers new and second-hand assets as well. That applies from the 12th of March 2020 and noting it's not based on invoice date, it's based on when it's installed and first ready for use. As an interesting little side note here, I was talking to Matthew Palumbo from, uh, from ROA who said across Australia they've only got four spots left. Um, so if you look of uh, row installations across Australia, they've only got four spots left. So um, think of where pharmacy is going to be spending up to $150,000 uh, per asset. Uh, the dispensing machines are your most likely, uh, your most likely uh, um, asset that pharmacy is going to be spending money on of that extent. And um, so if you're thinking about it, don't forget for you to be eligible for the, for the, the write-off it has to be installed ready for use. Now, these things just don't get installed overnight. So just keep that in mind. Like, Rose, there's only four spots left, so uh, pharmacy's ability to be able to access that concession probably fairly limited, but um, by the by. Um, now, another little interesting note here, this is probably the, the last one uh, that probably need to uh, talk about here on this little, short little, uh, short little podcast here is um, pondering in my mind here is 
what's the impact of all of this on valuations? Now, this is quite an interesting topic. So if you look at, and many of you have probably heard the term from a valuation methodology called EBITDA, being earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. So if you think from normal valuation principles, take a, your net profit, we add back any interest, add back any sort of taxes, depreciation, amortization, things like that. Well, now we're in the world of coronavirus and, and everything like that, and and uh, pharmacy is no different than any other business and certainly been impacted. Um, we now have a term called EBITDAC. What's that? Earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization, and coronavirus. So what that means is we need to desensitize everything. We need to normalize everything. So if you think of some of the trends that we're noting here in pharmacy, some uh, the figures that we're seeing in March, some pharmacies did very, very well. That's not normal earnings. That was a unique period because everyone was hoarding, because humanity went stupid, as humanity does, um, and everyone was hoarding. And so you think of the earnings for March, you think, well, that's not... And if you go back to the principles of valuations, principles of valuations is you're determining an earnings figure based on future maintainable earnings, okay? So the earnings that the pharmacy is likely to earn in the future on a maintainable basis. Um, what pharmacies were doing in March is number one, not reflect or potentially not reflective of future earnings and number two, it's most certainly not maintainable. So as a principle, you think some of those valuations, uh, we need to desensitize and normalize what was happening in March. Now this also makes it equally relevant for April. And, um, okay, like, sorry about that um, phone call, and it's just Sarah and I in the office together, uh, and the phone call came through, and we had to put a little podcast on, on, on hold for a little while, but I'm sure you're okay with that. Um, Okay, so we talked about um, uh, uh, normalizing the earnings in March. We've also got to normalize the earnings in April. Um, if you look at some of the trends that we're initially seeing of things are calming down and things may have calmed down too much. And some, for example, if some pharmacies have um, eligible for the JobKeeper payment and their, their turnovers drop by more than 30%, that's equally an unusual period which means we also need to normalize that. And then what happens in May? What happens in June? Um, how do we determine what month is a normal month? You can see the valuations going forward are now starting to get extremely difficult. How do we determine what normal earnings are? March was doesn't appear to be normal at all. April, the way it's tracking at the moment, doesn't appear to be very normal. And if, if we use a hypothetical example, say um, all the social distancing and quarantines and isolation phases that we're going through, let's say we come to the end of May, then all the restrictions are released and we can go about life. That means March, April, May was very much a different period. How do we normalize the earnings during that time? Now, what happens when June, when, for example, if the economy is very slow to start, Customers are very slow to get back together again. Yeah, you know, it makes it very difficult. 
Now, the other um, interesting little uh, points to this is any of the, the, the cash boost incentives based on your PAYG withholding. All that needs to be removed as well as a once-off non-recurring non income stream. The JobKeeper payments, so we need to remove the JobKeeper payments coming through, but we also need to adjust the wages to reflect the wages, not based on the $1,500 that the payments that the employees will be getting, but based on what a normal wage period would be during that time. Um, if you would negotiate any rent relief with your with your landlord because your turnover was down by more than 30%, well, that needs to be desensitised as well. So you can see from a valuations perspective going forward, there's quite a difficult phase coming up and we're trying to determine what is normal earnings during a phase which is very, very not normal. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, so there's a couple of thoughts. Now, uh, one other thought, I, I forgot I forgot to mention this before. Um, we spoke last time about the cash boost, okay? Cash boost based on uh, your PAYG withholding, okay? And let's talk about, uh, of course, this is a pharmacy podcast, so we're going to talk about pharmacy. Now, pharmacy generally lodges activity statements on a monthly basis, okay? Now, the way the cash boost is, is based on is it looks at your PAYG withholding in the March BAS, you get that multiplied by three. That's what comes through when you lodge your March Bass. Then you get your um, to a maximum of 50,000, but then over the course of March, April, May, June, there's a maximum of 50,000 that you can get back, okay? So if we use an example, say your March withholding is say $10,000, okay? So in, when we lodge the March Bass, we'll get back $30,000. We lodge our April Bass, we pay our POYG withholdings $10,000. We get another $10,000. That means we're a total of $40,000. We lodge our March Bass, with another $10,000 worth of POYG withholding. So now we're up to $50,000. When we lodge our June Bass, we don't get anything back because we maxed out our $50,000. But then there's the, the second realm of the cash boost, which, which is based on the amount that you got back over the course of March, April, May, June. That, that amount you got back is then spread equally over the months of June, July, August, September. So 25% each month. Okay? So if there was, you know, say $50,000 or something that you got back, in the, the March, April, May, June period, then you'll get a quarter of that $50,000, being $12,500, if my sums are correct in my head, there's um, $12,500 that you'll then get back over the course of June, July, August, September. And let's use another example here. And this one just gives you a, an idea as to how the mechanisms work. Let's say you're, you're, you're withholding for the month of um, March is, say, $3,000, okay? So that means for, um, uh, for the month of March, the minimum amount you can get back is actually $10,000. So for the month of March, you don't get back 
three times $3,000, you actually get back $10,000 in the month of March. Then we come April, we lodge another activity statement that shows our POYG withholdings $3,000. Now we don't get the $3,000 back, we actually get $2,000 back. Why do we get $2,000? Because three times $3,000 in, there's another phone call coming through. Okay, so another phone call again, sorry about that. Um, so we go back to our example. All right, so a couple of little interruptions again, but we'll get going. So we'll go back to our example where we've got PAYG withholding each month of $3,000. So for the month of March, when we lodge our March activity statement for that month, we get back, we don't get back three times $3,000 because the minimum amount we get back is $10,000. Okay, but the mechanism there says that we can't get back more than what our POYG withholding is, okay, to a maximum of 50,000. So, <coughs> excuse me, for the month of March, where we've got $3,000, three times $3,000 is $9,000, but the minimum amount we can get is $10,000. So for the month of March, we get $10,000. Come April activity statement, we've got another $3,000. Now, we don't get $3,000 back in the month of April. When we lodge the April activity statement, we get $2,000. Why? Because we've had 10 already, and once we've had three lots of $3,000 in March, which is $9,000, plus another $3,000 in April is $12,000, the maximum amount we can get back is $12,000, not the 13. So I hope that all makes sense. I hope that I explained that properly. Also keep in mind, we've got a maximum of 50000 here. So we got $10,000 that we get back in March, $2,000 that we get back in April, $3,000 that we get back in May, 3,000 that we get in June. Okay, so that adds up to, uh, ten, was that uh, 13, stop, please. <laughs> March, April, May, June, we have a total of $18,000 in um, PAYG withholding. So keep in mind the second lot of cash boost applies for the month of June, July, August, September. Keep in mind the Keep in mind the month of June, you get two lots. Okay, so just keep that in mind. So that's another little, uh, I hope I explained that properly because there's a few little interruptions along the way. Um, so I hope I explained that all properly. So there's a few little updates for you uh, since we did the, the last little podcast. So uh, quite a bit there. Um, it's keeping us uh, quite busy in the office because as each one of these comes up, um, there's more issues with clients. Um, we're certainly on the phone a lot more to clients to see how they're going and, and guiding them along the way. So um, it's certainly keeping us uh, very busy, uh, but I hope you guys are okay. Look after yourselves. Uh, the most important thing, keep track of your turnover over, over this month. And if you are trending down, do go and register. Um, be careful those high-cost drugs because I'd uh, hate for you to... Um, um, dispense one or two of those and all of a sudden you can't get it when you know you probably really need it um, just keep in mind those and as for valuations going forward uh, it's going to be fun but uh, look after yourselves everyone um, keep safe um, you pharmacists are doing fantastic job um, when um, everyone else is um, you know 
hiding behind the scenes, pharmacies on the front line, looking after everyone. Uh, you guys are, are tired and a bit worn out, but um, but you're doing a fantastic job. We admire you, you guys a lot. So uh, look after yourselves. You'll be hearing from us again soon. Talk soon. Bye.